Someone who is reaching retirement age today but didn't start saving until they were 40 years old is probably following advice from the mid-90s. Around that time, floppy disks were being phased out. A lot has changed since then, and today we'll help weed out some of the old-fashioned tips that have not stood the test of time. Welcome in to The Retirement Referee with Steve Caruso. Hey, welcome in, everybody. This is The Retirement Referee with Steve Caruso. I'm consumer advocate Steve Siddall. Now, this is the show where we blow the whistle on financial fouls. Steve is a best-selling author. It's called Cookie Cut This, Retirement Distribution Strategies for the Nonconformist. I like it. Um, and uh, Steve's got 20-plus years in the business helping folks get to and through retirement, uh, fiduciary, independent, uh, all of those things. And uh, I could go on, Steve, but I'll just say, hi, how are you? Hi, how are you, Steve? Good evening to you. <laughs> Very, I'm well, thanks. And and um, you took me right back there when you talked about floppy disks. We, you know, I mean, goodness gracious, I remember the, the five and a quarters and then the, the littler ones and oh my gosh yeah that was the time no it's uh back at the the beginning of the internet and the time before internet i often talk about that with my daughter before cell phones and internet in the olden days oh yeah she <laughs> looks at you with a puzzled look yeah, huh exactly. what are you talking about <laughs> well i mean one of the things that was happening in the in the 90s certainly and uh, into the 90s was that allocation of stocks and bonds and and it was you know hard and fast rule 60 40 split 60 socks 40 bonds and that's the way it is and, and i know people still have that mindset don't they they do they use these rules of thumb and the fact is is that the rules of thumb are not created because they're they're accurate they're self-serving to the financial services industry so you might have heard that rule of whatever your age is that should be your weighting in bonds or they would say a uh, hundred minus your age is what sure. you should have in stocks so if you were 60 years old they would say have 60 percent in bonds now that rule of thumb was created in the 70s and now if you think back to the 70s interest rates were significantly better right yes. there were 15 16 percent interest rates and bond prices move opposite interest rates. But more importantly, what was the financial services industry primarily selling at that point? Mutual bonds. funds? Yeah, bonds. So, yeah. And so what did what did your broker at Shearson or or EF Hutton want want to sell you? Bonds. So the rule is self-serving to the industry because they wanted to sell more bonds. So they would tell people, oh, you should have your age in bonds. Uh, so as people got older, they'd be buying more bonds. And um, it really has no no bearing on on actual science or studies. So when they've in the in the 90s, there was another rule that was created, the 4% rule, which we'll talk about in a second. Sure. But that that's also self-serving to the industry, right? Because at that point, where do people have? People had mutual funds, as you were you were yeah. alluding to, right? Sure. So and so we, they wanted people to stay invested in their mutual funds. They didn't want them to go into bonds or, or take their money out and put it in a CD in the bank. So they said, well, if you take out 4% of your portfolio in retirement, you'll be okay. And both of those rules of thumb are based on bonds appreciating it in the five to 6% range, which was happening when interest rates were going down. But for the last 40 years, you've had the, the greatest environment possible for bonds. The next 20 or 30 years was probably going to be the worst possible environment for bonds because you had bond interest rates go from 16% all the way down to uh, next to zero. 
And now you're going to be going the opposite direction and bond prices are going to go down. So your expected return in bonds is much less. So it's important to look for alternative sources of income in retirement other than bonds. And so what they did was the Stanford Longevity Center did a study, a, a guy by the name of Dr. Fa, And what he did was he paired stock portfolios with different types of asset classes to produce income for a retiree. What he found was that a, a stock portfolio when paired with a fixed annuity actually provides a much smoother return and better overall allocation and less risk of running out of your money than pairing a stock portfolio with a uh, bond portfolio for the most, you know, for most retirees. Sure. And so now you're probably saying Susie Orman told me never to buy, buy annuities. Well, Susie Orman is, is also dealing with advice from uh, maybe not even the nineties. It might even be from the eighties. I don't know. <laughs> I think she's been saying the same thing for probably 40 years. Um, so the, the point is, is that annuities are not a bad word. What happens is, is there are sometimes a bad fit. So if you're buying an annuity for the right reason, and that's to produce income, then an annuity can be a perfectly suitable investment. What happens is, unfortunately, a lot of times is people buy more of an annuity than they need, or they buy it for the wrong purpose. Mm -hmm. It's anything you, you, you purchase to produce you income is intrinsically not liquid, whether it's a rental property or it's a, a bond. So you want to tie up only what you need to produce you the income. And an annuity can definitely be a good, a good piece of that. Sure. I love what you said, Steve, when you said self-serving to the industry. And that's a term I've never heard before, but boy, it opened my eyes. You are so right. I mean, whether it's the 4% rule or whether it's the 60-40 bond split, I mean, you know, that just makes sense. And again, I think it's important to work with somebody like you to get that insight to, you know, to fully understand how we can maximize our own retirement. Right. And that's that's the important thing. And we talk a lot about working with a fiduciary. Right. And understanding how someone is compensated makes a huge, huge difference because someone who's a fee only financial planner, which is what I am, mm -hmm. who's charging you a flat fee for service is not going to be motivated by commissions or by um, by telling you, hey, stay in your investment account. Whereas there are fiduciaries like uh, Ken Fisher, not to, not to, I've already picked on Susie Orman, might as well pick on Ken Fisher. Sure, why not? Too, right? Yeah. And so he's charging you an asset-based charge. And so then he comes on at uh, the F word, fiduciary, and uh, I only make money when you make money. Well, again, he's never going to recommend an annuity to you, even if it's the right thing. Because you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't get paid a, a percentage of your annuity assets. So it could be the right advice, but again, He's going to to steer you towards things that are um, are going to compensate his firm. Sure. And so that's why he does those ads. I hate annuities and I hate mutual funds. Well, guess what? He doesn't get paid on annuities <laughs> and mutual funds. Right. And so um, and so uh, and you have to look at that because a lot of that stuff is self serving. I mean, if you even even the orange money and the green line, it's because they want you to keep your portfolio in. Fidelity. That's why they create the green, the green line. Sure. Because they say, oh, we can give you a distribution from Fidelity, even though the science tells you that it's not good to distribute from a stock and bond portfolio proportionately, which is what they're doing with those strategies at Fidelity and at Charles Schwab. Sure. So um, it's important that you're 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 really tailoring the advice to your specific spending, and you're creating an individualized plan, which is why I called the book Cookie Cut This 
because there is no cookie cutter solution. The financial services industry would love it, love there to be a finance, you know, a cookie cutter solution because it makes it easier for them. Yeah, it makes they it can easy. They scale it. They can they can offer it to more people. They can say, hey, we have box A, B, C, and D. Choose one. But not everyone fits into those boxes. And wouldn't it be nice to work with someone who's creating a plan that's tailored individually to you? And that's what we do. And we we offer that every week to our our listeners, we offer 15 spots absolutely free. We do a comprehensive retirement distribution plan. Hey, folks, this is it. This is a great opportunity for you. Pick up the phone. Give us a call. It's 800-705-9995. It's an opportunity to sit down with Steve and, and put that financial roadmap together. Take a lot of that complex financial world. Like he just said, self-serving to the industry. No, sit down, make it make it serve you. That's what he does. He's a fiduciary. He's looking out for you. He's got your best interest at heart. And you can get one of those spots that he just talked about. One of the 15 spots available, 800 705 9995 Again, it's 800-705-9995. We are going to take a quick break, but I want to continue the conversation right here on The Retirement Referee with Steve Caruso. We're closing in on 2022, and if you're closing in on retirement, stick around. On today's show, we'll outline how retirement will be different in 2022. We are back on The Retirement Referee with Steve Caruso. I'm consumer advocate Steve Siddall. This is the show where we blow the whistle on financial fouls. Uh, Steve's best-selling book is called Cookie Cut This, Retirement Distribution Strategies for the Nonconformist. We were just talking about that. And, uh, you know, Steve, yeah, 2022, how can that be, huh? We're, we're staring Thanksgiving in the face. No, it's uh, this year has flown by. I mean, I think last year was just extraordinarily long. So oh, gosh, yes. it's made this... <laughs> It's made this year just seem so much faster. And I think even, I think 2022 will probably go by even faster than that. Hopefully we don't have as much in the way of restrictions and things start to get back to normal. Oh, let's but hope I mean, so. <laughs> you know, just even having people at sporting events again is and concerts and things like that. Oh, yeah. You know, well, a it big makes, change from the last year and a half. Well, it just makes fun. It makes watching football fun again. Rather than look yeah, at all absolutely. the cutouts, the cardboard cutouts in the stands, right? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. Um, so let's talk about this. We talk about closing in on 2022, and uh, there are some big changes on the horizon, absolutely. Uh, the first one we're going to talk about is Social Security, and, and those checks are getting bigger next year, which is a good thing. Um, but let's talk about why they're bigger and the motivation behind it. Yeah, so that's it's, it's actually a historically large bump up that you're getting a 5.9% cost of living adjustment in your social security benefits. So if you're already collecting social security, you're going to be grateful to see that. Uh, but I wouldn't go spending that money in your head before you get it, because you got to remember there's a reason that social security had its biggest jump since 1983. And that's <laughs> yeah. because the cost of everything has gone up too. And so, um, and primarily, you know, we, we often think about fuel and if you've gone to pump up gas over the, course of the last year and a half, you've seen that. I, I mean, obviously, if you think about just the price of oil, right, forget about your fuel. A year and a half ago, oil was negative in price, right? And right. now it's, you know, now it's in, in the, the 80s uh, per barrel. So, you know, that is a huge, huge jump. Your healthcare costs are going to go up. A lot of the stuff that we do every day, uh, especially anything that requires us to be in a place that's frequented by the public, has gone up in cost as well. Because if you're a business that operates to the public, you now have all sorts of 
new regulations and safety precautions and things that you need to to follow, whether it's, you know, you go into the store and they have a stack of masks that they hand out or they have sanitizer dispensers. Sure. Um, yeah, so there's, uh, you'll, you see the shields now when you're, when you're paying at the cashier. So, I mean, all of those things cost money and those that those costs that the business is incurring is going to flow through to you. So you're going to have to spend a little bit more. So don't, it's not, it's not like a financial boon that, that people think is, uh, you know, you didn't, to, to quote the Clampets, you didn't hit bubbling crude. It's just. Um, <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, but inflation is certainly something that for, for a lot of people haven't had to even think about for at least 10 years, maybe a little longer. Right. And that's, that's the problem is that whenever there's a risk that lays dormant for a long time, people completely forget about it or discount it. And they sure. say, all right, well, that's not going to happen. And <laughs> so, you know, and it, it's, I, I, I hate using sports analogies, but it's, a sports analogy is fitting, right? Like it, it's like when someone has a big, a big game against their rival and they, the next game is against a team that they should easily beat, but they lose because they, they get so hyped up for the game before and they completely forgot to prepare for this other, this other, this other team. So sure. it, inflation is sort of like the losing team. It's, <laughs> it's been so low for so long for 20 years. It's the, it's the Detroit lions of, of financial risks. Yes, and, you are correct. <laughs> and so people have forgot to, to prepare for it or to plan for it. And, and guess what? It's, it's, it's coming out with a vengeance. And so um, that's, you know, that's why you have to account, account for it in your plan. And you have to figure that even if inflation doesn't stay above 5%, it's probably going to settle in at a higher rate than it's been for the last 20 years. And you, that's going to be a, become a new normal, a new baseline. Long term, since World War II, inflation has averaged 3.42% a year. I would expect inflation to probably settle in a little bit below its long-term average, but I think we're going to have a sustained period of higher inflation. Sure. I agree with you on that one. And, and you know, as you said, people have, have forgotten complacency can be, a, can be a real problem when it comes to our money, can't it? It is. It's a huge money. It's a huge issue because you and even let's just talk about the investments in the market. Right. Yeah. So you can become complacent with your investments as well. Right. So you you might be nearing retirement and you might have all of your money in your 401k invested in the stock market and you've been killing it for the last 12 years. And now you're getting ready to retire and you haven't repositioned any of that money into something more conservative because you say, oh, well, if the market dips, it's going to come back up in six months, right? It's done that the last 10 years. Well, what happens if we have the period where we have a three-year or two-and-a-half-year bear market? If, you haven't, if you're nearing retirement and you haven't allocated the money that you need in the next three to five years to something safe, um, you're, you're kind of missing the boat. You're, you're, under, you're discounting the risk of a, of a market correction or a, a bear market. And I'm not saying that there's going to be a bear market tomorrow. What I'm saying is that if you if you're nearing retirement and you haven't you haven't positioned your assets to have enough of a cushion in something safe, now is not a bad time to reposition. Even if the market goes continues to go higher, I'm not saying reposition all of your assets. Even if the market continues to go higher, you're still going to be benefiting from the assets that you're leaving in the market. I'm saying the money that you know is going to be spent in the next three to five years 
that should be, if you're nearing retirement, that should absolutely be positioned into something a little bit more safe. Right. And and again, that's where you come in, Steve, because you are the, you know, you've got the expertise that, that works on that distribution and preservation stage, transitioning from the acquisition, how we spend most of our lives uh, until we get closer to retirement. And you can help us make sure that, yes, we've got money that's safe, but we also have money that's going to grow. Right. And that's, and, you know, it's so important because there's so many risks that come at you at retirement. And people think, oh, well, you know, I was able to stomach this risk, you know, when it happened in 2008 or when it, you know, when it happened in March of last year, I was able to get through that. Okay. Okay, great. That's, that's great that you were able to do that. But now what happens when your paycheck stops? You're not as, you're not so confident anymore when, yeah. when those dips happen. And so that's why you really need a plan. And we talk about this so much on the show, but putting together a plan the biggest thing it does is give you peace of mind. It gives you a roadmap. So you know, all right, here's how much I need to have set aside for safety. Great, I've done that, I've taken care of that. Now the money that's at risk in the market is not money that I need to pull in the next three to five years. If there is a storm or a, a, a drop or a correction or a bear market, whatever you wanna call it, then you're, you can ride it out because you know that that money is not money that you're spending in the near term. And sure. what having a plan does, it's the same thing as being organized. It, it frees you from panic. So when there's uncertainty, that's when you panic. If you have a plan, you have, you have at least a higher degree of certainty. And so it, it gives you more peace of mind. It helps you make better decisions. And that's something we offer every week to our listeners. And we still have about nine spots left. Hey, that sounds great. And, you know, the certainty of uncertainty, that's kind of what retirement planning is all about. You got to plan for those things. That's where Steve comes in. He can help you do that, help accomplish that. Make sure you've got that safe money. Make sure you've got money that's ready to grow, that will continue to grow, even as you move through retirement. If that sounds good to you, make that phone call, 800-705-9995. 800-705-9995. Get that comprehensive financial review. There's no cost. There's no no obligation for this. It's just an opportunity to sit down and begin to put together that financial roadmap. 800-705-9995. Again, it's 800-705-9995. There are many kinds of risks when it comes to retirement planning, from longevity risk to healthcare cost risk. We'll break them down and highlight how to potentially avoid them. back on The Retirement Referee with Steve Caruso. I'm consumer advocate Steve Siddall. Of course, uh, Steve is a best-selling author, Cookie Cut This, Retirement Distribution Strategies for the Nonconformist. He is a fiduciary. He's an independent. He's been helping folks for more than 20 years. And uh, this is something, you know, we talk about risk, Steve, one in one fashion or another. I think we even talked about it today already. But I, I thought it might be fun to sort of look at different kinds of risk out there and, and get your insight on how we can, you know, avoid them or at least uh, embrace them, if you will. And that first one, you said it in the opening there, longevity risk. That is a real deal. That's a biggie, isn't it? It is. It's huge. This is this segment's probably going to be one of the more depressing segments. So get your uh, <laughs> your, your, your meds out. All right. Fair you. enough. I'm, I'm <laughs> but, ready. Uh, I'm ready for it. We're going to be talking about risks. But so longevity is only really a risk if you don't have enough money to cover your life for those years, right? <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> it, I mean, living to 100 is great if you still have your health and you have your money. But if you don't have your health or you don't have your, your mind starts to fade or 
you know, it, it, you don't, you know, and you don't have money, then longevity is a risk. And so it's, it's a risk that doesn't hit everybody, but it is a risk and it's got to be planned for. What do I mean by that? Well, you don't want to plan on, have a plan where you're going to be spending all of your money by age 80 and then be at 81 and have nothing. And so do you need to plan to 120 years old? No. But do you, do you want to make sure you have enough to get you into your 90s? Absolutely. Statistically, there's a 20% chance if you're a married couple that one of the two of you is going to make it to 95. So if you're a married couple, retirement age today, and you know, you're in good health, you're making it to retirement, there's a 20% chance that one of the two of you is going to make it to 95. So you want to, you want to plan for that. Well, if you're going to make it to 95, Steve, let's make it to 100. No, absolutely. (laughs) So, but what I'm saying is I don't think you need to plan to 120. Okay. But you you do need to, you know, you do need to plan to have some money into your 80s and 90s. And sometimes people, and I see this all the time where people will retire early. They'll have a pension. The pension will have a small cost of living adjustment, if anything at all. Mm-hmm. And they completely, like the risk that we were talking about before with the inflation, right? They'll completely discount inflation. They'll say, oh, I have the cost of living adjustment. It's more than enough for me. Well, guess what? Your costs go up way more. And then there, there's other things that happen in retirement that you, you, you should have been able to maybe foresee, but you, you can't really foresee. So sometimes you have a child move back home with you, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and or you have a, a, a child or a family member that comes across some type of problem. And so that's in the book, I talk about what happens when your, your family comes back to the nest and then fries your nest egg over hard. And so that's, that's, <laughs> that's you know, a great that's, analogy. Uh, yeah, no. And so that's, you know, one of the things about having longevity risk is it also gives you that cushion. Um, because if you've, if you've planned for a longer lifetime, if you've planned to a hundred, um, chances are you'll have a little bit more of a cushion for those unexpected things that happen. Well, and uh, Steve, I want to talk a little bit about, um, the, the sequence of returns risk. That's a, that again is, is a, you know, right up there with longevity risk. Talk to me about sequence of returns and, and what that means and how we can deal with it. Yeah, it's great. This is the one risk that a lot of people don't, they, they hear about it, but they don't really fully get it. And so it's in my book, I call it the retirement start date lottery. So if <laughs> yeah. you were retiring and you had to, you retired, you happen to retire in say November of 2007 and you decide at that time, the market's at an all time high, I'm going to reallocate the money that I need for the next five years. And I'm going to put it in something safe. Well, you're selling out of the market at an all time high. And so you're selling very few shares on a relative basis to accomplish that goal. Now the same person retires in March of 2009, when the market was at its low, they have to sell, if they go to reallocate, they have to sell a lot more shares to generate the cash that they need in the first three to five years of retirement, which is why if you're nearing retirement now, if you're two to three years out, you want to start repositioning your assets. It's also why when we talked about the 4% rule, why the 4% rule doesn't work or anything where you're making a proportionate uh, when you're making a portion, a proportionate withdrawal, meaning the stuff that they want you to do for that fidelity green line or that Schwab income distribution plan. So 
I'm going to, if you've seen the Schwab ads, I'm going to take the side of Carl for a second here okay. instead of the, the Schwab person, um, because you do need to have some type of a strategy and you do need to reallocate the money that you're going to spend in the next three to five years into something that's not a, a cookie cutter portfolio, that's not a mix of stocks and bonds. The reason being is the same reason why your 401k made money when you were when you were saving for retirement, because you are adding the same amount of money every pay period. So when the money, when the market dipped, you were buying more shares. So you had a lower average price. Well, the opposite is true when you retire. So that's called dollar cost averaging, like what you were doing saving for retirement. When you're in retirement and you're distributing, distributing it becomes dollar cost ravaging, meaning <laughs> yeah. that you're selling more shares when the market is down. So when the market comes back up, you have less growing for you. So the person who has two or three bad years in a row in the market at the beginning of their retirement is exponentially more likely to run out of money than the person who retires and has two or three good years at the beginning of their retirement. Right. And so taking the exact same distribution, one will run out of money, one won't. And the, the reason being is because they're taking it from a, a, a proportionately from a stock and bond portfolio and that stock portfolio, they're selling, they're selling more shares when the market is down. And, and if they have those down years right away, then they have less, less shares available when, when the market obviously comes back up. Sure. So, well, that makes perfect sense. No. And that's, uh, you know, that's one of the things that we, we look at in our plans and the, the other, the other risk that we want to talk about before we, we go, you know, take a break too much in, yeah, before we get to break or, or, or whatnot is one that we should all plan for. We all think we're super healthy. Um, and we're not going to need long-term care and that's not going to be me. I one time had a client told me I have a, I have a long-term care plan. I have a Smith and Wesson. <laughs> and the, the reality is that you're not going to do that if you need long-term care and no one's going to push you over a bridge. No, you know, so that I, I get these type of answers all the time and I just kind of roll my eyes because, you know, it's better to plan for a risk and have it not occur than to not plan for the risk at all. Absolutely. And so, you know, that's what, what we do. We have about five spots left. We will put together a comprehensive retirement distribution plan that's going to look at where you are today, where you want to be, and the things that could potentially derail. So if you have a potential risk that you haven't addressed, then we're going to point that out to you. And that, again, the whole point of this whole process is to give you peace of mind. And again, that's really what it's all about, getting peace of mind, the confidence you need to get through and uh, to and through retirement. Steve's there for you, taking a lot of that complex financial world, whether we're talking about sequence of returns or long-term care, whatever it might be, he understands. He can kind of lay it all out for you. It's an excellent chance for you to get a true practical financial review, and it does start with that phone call, 800-705-9995. Make the call while you're thinking of it, 800-705-9995. When we come back, it's time for questions from our listeners, and we've got some good ones today. Hey, we 
are back on The Retirement Referee with Steve Caruso. I'm consumer advocate Steve Siddall. Having a great conversation today, Steve, and, and recovering so much ground. Uh, I, I love the last segment. We talked a lot about risks, different kinds of risk. And I want to talk about, uh, I want to reference again the long-term care risk. And, you know, I know you're right. A lot of us just don't believe that it's ever going to happen to us. But I think all of us have you know, know someone or in our family that's gone, that's had to deal with it. And I think it's so important to to begin to plan for it. And, and something that you referenced a little bit earlier, and that is how the insurance industry has sort of risen to the occasion to help us get to long-term care or get coverage for long-term care. Can we, can we dig into that for a sec? Yeah. So let's, let's talk about about that for a second. So one of the big negatives about long-term care insurance, or one of the, I wouldn't say it's a negative, but from the insurance company standpoint, sure. is is that they, you know, they they look at a long-term care policy and people tell them, oh, I don't want to buy it because I may never need it. And so that's one thing that is that drove the insurance companies nuts. The other thing that drove the insurance company nuts is that when they were doing these policies, they were pricing them based on actuarial tables from, from life insurance. And a certain amount of people drop their life insurance every year. No one who has long-term care insurance or almost no one who has long-term care insurance drops their long-term care insurance. Right. So the, the retention rates on, on long-term care policies are much higher. So not to bore you with details, but the point of the matter is, is what they did was they created these hybrid policies to address both solutions. And so now you could buy a life insurance policy where you can spend the death benefit while you're alive on long-term care. And so the big, the big uh, obstacle to selling these policies for the life insurance agent was that people were saying, well, I'm putting in all this money into the long-term care policy. And if I never need it, I just lost the money. Well, here you're buying a life insurance policy for a pool, a pot of money. That pot of money can be used for long-term care if you need it. If you don't need it, it be, it's just a regular life insurance policy and it goes to your beneficiaries. So for example, if you had a $500,000 policy and you used 200 of it for care at the end of your life, 300,000 of it would still go to your, your beneficiary. And so there are a lot of different creative solutions around long-term care that the insurance industry has come up with. And you know, it's, it's, definitely, it's definitely smart to sit down and look at what option might be best for you. You know, we talk a lot about being confident in retirement and knowing that, you know, if it's your spouse and that they may be taken care of because you've taken the time to invest in this policy, that's very, I guess, reassuring, isn't it? Yeah, no, it definitely is. And it's it's one of those risks that no one wants to think about, let alone plan for, but it's 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 a reality for many Americans. So. Of course it is. All right, let's get into a couple of these questions uh, while we've got some time. Margaret is wondering, uh, she says, I'm, I have an old pension that I'm planning to roll over into a traditional IRA to take advantage of potential returns greater than the 3% it currently receives. Is it possible to convert some of that to a Roth IRA and then take the money out if I need it? Great question, Margaret. So if you roll it into the IRA in a lump sum, so if it's first rolled into uh, the IRA in a lump sum, then yes, from the IRA, you could then convert it into the Roth IRA. But you would have to take the lump sum option on your pension roll that lump sum check into to an IRA first and then and then convert it. Okay. So I mean it's a, so it's certainly something that can be done and uh, and you do a, a fair number of Roth conversions, don't you? I do. I 
I do them in the in the right the right for the right client in the right situation. So, All right, uh, Margaret, if you want the number to call eight hundred seven zero five nine 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 five. And uh, let's see, Randy has a question. He says, "I've heard that I can invest a health savings account in ETFs. How do I do that?" So there are different uh, providers that will that will do the HSA and. Within the HSA, you should be, you know, some people have their HSAs at, say, TD Ameritrade, and you could buy an ETF inside or even Apple stock or something along those lines. And so the, the idea is, is that the, the money in the health savings account is, is growing uh, at much better interest than, say, the 0.1% you're getting in the bank. So right. there are also bank health savings accounts, too, that a lot of people have, but you don't have to have the health savings account at a bank. Well, and again, the, the I mean, the HSAs are pretty, I mean, they can be a pretty powerful tool in, uh, in you know, just getting ready and, and from a healthcare standpoint, can't they? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, we don't know what we don't know, right? So right. it's, and so we talk so much on this show about uncertainty. And so we have one of the biggest uncertainties is what health issues lie ahead for us. And so if we've, prepared a pot of money and assigned some money to take care of that, then we feel a lot more confident. We may not feel any better health wise, but we feel a little bit more confident about how we're going to pay for it. And sure. so, uh, and a lot of the stuff that we consider to be risks or unseen events can be reasonably foreseen. I mean, it, it's reasonably foreseeable that you probably at some point in your retirement are going to need some type of major dental work. It's reasonably foreseeable that you might need cataract surgery or a hip replacement or a knee replacement at some point in your retirement. So um, having that money set aside in the health savings account can help address that risk. Okay. I like that. And uh, let's see, we got time for one more quick one here. Let's go to Pamela. Uh, she says, I'm a physician with my own practice and four employees right now. I have a SEP plan that I'm contributing to, but I've been told that a defined benefit plan might be better. Can you explain to me how these work and whether or not you recommend them for someone like me? Well, <clears throat> there's a couple of things that go into figuring that out, Pamela. So, I mean, this, this is one of those things where we would want to, we'd want to meet one-on-one, -on -one. but typically because you have four employees only, it would depend on your age uh, primarily, but the main benefit of doing the defined benefit plan is that you would be able to shelter a lot more money from uh, for from taxes. So, I, it, but it, in order for it to know whether it makes sense, we'd have to look at what the income is that you're generating, how much liquidity you have uh, in the business. Would you have the money to put in uh, a sizable defined benefit contribution? But the the main reason it makes sense over the SEP is that it typically do, uh, and not. I mean, typically for a small business where the primary earner is is of a certain age, you can put a heck of a lot more money in the defined benefit plan than you can in the SEP. And so you therefore get a much larger tax deduction. Okay. In a nutshell. Sounds tricky to me, Steve. I think she needs some help. <laughs> yeah, no. And that's what we do. We, we, we sit down, we're going to look at strategies. We look at tax strategies as well. And we're going to, we're going to say to you, Hey, here's an opportunity that you're missing. And so, I just had that same situation with, with a client where uh, he runs a home heating oil company and he had been contributing into a SEP. And I, it, basically he and his wife, and they're both in their late fifties, 
are the primary people of the business. And I said, hey, if you did the solo DB plan, you could put aside four times the amount into the defined, defined benefit plan than they were able to put into the SEP. And so, and their main issue was they wanted to save taxes. They had liquidity. So, you know, for, but these are things that you only find out when you put together a plan and you you're talking to someone and they're asking you the right questions. And that's, that's something we do for all of our clients. It's something we do for our listeners and we still have two spots left. Hey, that sounds great. This is it folks. Last opportunity today to give Steve a call and get on the calendar. It's a phone call away. 800-705-9995. You'll get that comprehensive financial review, no cost, no obligation. Take advantage of it. Don't procrastinate. Make that call today. 800-705-9995. 800-705-9995. Steve, as always, a pleasure to be here. I love the conversations, and and we cover a lot of ground, and it's really important information. Yeah, no, I lo love being out here every Sunday afternoon, so thank you for making us a part of your Sunday evening, Orlando, and uh, we'll be back here next week, same time. The information on this program is educational in nature and is not intended to be a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan, or other purposes. Information presented is believed to be factual and up-to-date, but we do not guarantee its accuracy and it should not be regarded as a complete analysis of subjects discussed. Prior to making any investment or financial decisions, an investor should always seek advice from a financial, insurance, legal, or tax professional that takes into account all of the particular facts and circumstances of an investor's own situation. Laurel Wealth Solutions and or Stephen Crusoe offer investment advisory and financial planning services through Bellpoint Asset Management, LLC, an investment advisor registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Registration with SEC should not be construed to imply that the SEC has approved or endorsed qualifications or the services Bellpoint Asset Management offers, or that its personnel possesses a particular level of skill, expertise, or training. Coach P. Ray.